This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Must be seen to believed, patronized by royalty, nobility, and clergy, the smallest performers in the world, interesting alike to old and young, rich and poor. These kinds of proclamations grace the enchanting advertisements of one of the oldest and most lucrative sideshow exhibits, the Flea Circus. Depicting cartoon insects fencing one another or balancing on a tightrope, these inventive ads promised entertainment the likes of which had never been seen, or at least couldn't be seen, without the help of a magnifying glass. If the idea of a flea circus sounds too good to be true, that's because it is. The concept of minuscule bugs swinging on the trapeze or launching themselves from a tiny cannon forces the spectator to suspend disbelief, to consider that the humble flea, once the harbinger of the Black Death that killed half of Europe in the 1300s, could also be trained to perform daring feats in a venue no larger than a Monopoly board. The truth is much darker. Fleas only live for a few months, so they can't be trained. Instead, most ringleaders thread gold wires around their necks, which are then tied to various props for them to interact with. Fleas, like ants, can lift objects much larger than themselves, so they appear to be kicking or carrying things when, in reality, they're just trying to find a way out. However, most flea circus owners didn't go to that much trouble to make their circuses seem authentic. Many simply wired up their dollhouse-sized diving boards and carousels with electric mechanisms so that it only looked like they had trained fleas to perform when, in fact, no fleas were present at all. The earliest known flea circus was said to have debuted in London in the 1820s, and since then they've become novelties, nothing more than wholesome entertainment for nostalgic audiences. But the use of tiny insects to demonstrate their ingenuity goes back much further than the 1820s. In fact, it dates all the way back to 1578 and a man named Mark Scaliot. Mark was a blacksmith, and a darn good one at that. His work was renowned for its intricate detail and impeccable quality. But Mark really wanted to show the world what he could do. Swords and armor and the occasional piece of jewelry were fine, but Mark was capable of so much more. So he enlisted the help of the sideshow host's favorite creepy crawly, a flea. Mark worked day and night crafting something no one else had seen, and if he did his job right, no one else would see. He constructed a miniature lock, and to go with it, a key, all of which were constructed using only 11 pieces of iron, steel, and brass. Strung on a chain made up of 43 links, all of it weighed no more than a grain of gold. And these weren't just sculptures to demonstrate how small his work could get. 
The key he'd constructed actually did function inside the lock, and he hung it all around the neck of a flea. Yeah, a flea, which had no problem moving around while wearing the necklace. Scaliot's work is said to have given birth to the modern flea circus, although it took a while. Stories of his accomplishment, however, made the rounds for over a hundred years after he debuted his teeny tiny necklace and paved the way for people like Oswaldus Norhingerus, who made 1,600 flea-sized dishes out of ivory. Pope Paul V was said to have counted them all himself by hand using a special pair of glasses. Or there was Johannes Ferrarius, who built wooden cannons and carriages no bigger than a peppercorn. Or Claudius Callus, who carved miniature birds designed to sit on the tops of trees and tweet as they reacted with the water flowing through the trunks. This was truly inventive and skilled work, done without the use of laser-cut blades or the technology we take for granted today. It became the basis for entire movements of miniature artwork, dioramas, and even Hollywood special effects. And all of it, down to the molecule, hung on the shoulders of one tiny flea. Some might call that curious. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, how's your social battery right now? Are you feeling drained like me? I know how easy it can be to ignore our social battery and spread ourselves thin, especially with social gatherings picking up after the winter. So what's the right amount of socializing for you? And how do you recharge? Maybe you thrive around people or maybe you need some more alone time. Either way, therapy can help give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. I know firsthand just how helpful therapy can be to bringing clarity to my priorities and my decisions. It empowers me to be the best version of myself, because therapy isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com curiosities today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com 
slash curiosities. We put a lot of stock in numbers. I don't mean the ones that run our daily lives, like our 401ks or the stock market. I'm talking about the numbers we hold close to us, the lucky lottery numbers we play every week, and the not-so-lucky numbers we avoid because of superstition. Triskaidekophobia, the fear of the number 13, for example, stems from Jesus' Last Supper with his 12 apostles just before the crucifixion, thus its cultural designation as an unlucky number. Though, many other cultures seem to see the number as a source of good luck and fortune. But do you know anyophobia? You might not, as its prominence isn't nearly as widespread as the fear of the number 13. Anyophobia is the fear of the number 9, and for many classical composers throughout history, they had a good reason to worry. Over the course of his career, Ludwig von Beethoven composed five piano concertos, one violin concerto, 32 piano sonatas, 16 string quartets, one mass, one opera, and nine symphonies. He started composing his Ninth Symphony in the fall of 1822, working tirelessly for the next two years in order to complete it for the Philharmonic Society of London. The Ninth was his last symphony he created before his death in 1827. Anton Dvorak, born 14 years after Beethoven's death, wrote a number of operas and chamber music pieces before his death in 1904. Among all those compositions, nine symphonies. Franz Schubert, Jean Sibelius, Alexander Glazunov, Kurt Atterberg, and a whole host of others met similar fates. It didn't matter how many operas or chorale pieces or canadas they wrote. Once they each reached their ninth symphony, the curtain fell for the last time. The phenomenon had become so prominent in the 19th century, audiences and critics grew superstitious that anyone who dared to complete a Ninth Symphony would meet their death soon after. German composer Gustav Mahler, however, thought that he could beat the curse in an inventive way. Mahler was born almost 30 years after Beethoven's death and composed dozens of works, including chamber music, piano suites, and, yes, symphonies. He was well aware of the curse and its influence. In fact, death had weighed heavily on his mind in the years leading up to the composition of what would widely be considered his greatest work, The Song of the Earth. He had just resigned as director of the Vienna Court Opera House. His oldest daughter had passed away, and Mahler himself had been diagnosed with severe heart defects. He had gone through the worst times of his life, and those experiences fueled him in the creation of a new work, his most beautiful and inspiring to date. In 1908, Mahler began composing The Song of the Earth, his Ninth Symphony. Comprised of six songs, the piece was to be sung by two singers, with each person taking turns singing each of the many movements. He finished it one year later, but the curse of the Ninth still hung over him like a fog. He worried constantly, then because of his worry, he changed the title of his latest work. Rather than numbering it the way he'd done for his eight previous symphonies, Mahler subtitled it A Symphony for Tenor, Alto, and Large Orchestra, without a number attached. He still technically remained a composer of only eight complete symphonies. Quite the musical loophole. This left him free to focus on what would become his true Ninth Symphony, 
which he started composing around the same time he was working on the Song of the Earth. After beginning work on his Ninth Symphony, the real official one, that is, he told his wife, the danger is past. He'd successfully begun ten symphonies, counting the Song of the Earth. Unfortunately, he was too quick to celebrate. Fate had seen through his ruse. Only two movements into his new work, Mahler's diagnosis caught up with him, and he died of heart failure. As the composer Arnold Schoenberg once wrote in an essay shortly after Mahler's death, it seems that the ninth is a limit. He who wants to go beyond it must pass away. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.